Good morning, and welcome to another edition of Mornings with Matthew. I'm Matthew Tregesser, and today we'll be discussing the U.S.-Mexico Immigration Agreement, as well as the recent surges of African migrants arriving at our southern border, in addition to AOC's recent comments on the detention facilities at the border. So joining me today to discuss all these topics is Fares Preston Hennekins from our Government Relations Department. Great to have you on today, Preston. Yeah, happy to be here. Great. So let's begin by discussing the perimeters of the U.S.-Mexico immigration deal. So for our listeners out there, the deal basically comprises of the following. Mexico uh, pledged to send 6,000 National Guard troops to secure its southern border. The U.S. expands its migrant protection protocols so that more Central Americans applying for asylum in the U.S. will have to remain in Mexico while we kind of see where their case ends up. And then there's this provision uh, where Mexico might act as a safe third country, which basically means that migrants can't just apply for asylum in the U.S. They might have to apply for asylum in Mexico first. So Mexico agreed to this agreement after Trump threatened to place a 5% tariff on the country. So the tariff threat to some experts worked. Uh, we're still kind of seeing the uh, effectiveness of this and whether or not Mexico will actually comply with these um, kind of promises they made to the U.S. government. But Preston, what are your initial thoughts on this plan and what do you like most and least about it? Right. So uh, what I like most about the plan is that uh, Mexico is reacting to a problem that has existed for decades. Uh, We know for a fact that Mexico has been able to do more than they've been doing. uh, And it's sad that it took up until this point for them to act. They have a much smaller, uh, you know, number of miles of border uh, with Guatemala than we do with Mexico. Uh, And, you know, for years they, you know, they didn't want uh, migrants that were going north to stay in Mexico. They had no problem with them passing through as long as they didn't stay. Right. Uh, so uh, I'm glad that that President Trump was able to to twist their arm a little bit to get them to to cooperate with us because uh, it's an issue for them too. You know, they don't want you know hundreds of thousands of people staying in Mexico and and you know using their social safety net and things like that. So that's that's what I like about the plan. What I don't like uh, is that, you know, there's for going back to the safe third country agreement that actually only comes into place if the problem, quote unquote, gets worse. So if you know Trump or whoever's really running this decides, oh, you know, Mexico hasn't done enough to stop the flow, we're going to you know force this on them. Um, it's a, that would actually be a very important agreement, and I wish that it had been included in the initial mm-hmm. uh, group because also, you know, historically, apprehensions fall in the summer. It's it's way too hot. I mean, people don't really come sure, to yeah, the border. I'm sure it's in, over 100 degrees. Yeah, on, the, on the trek. It's and brutal. It's brutal. Um, and so I'm afraid that people are going to look at that at the fact that we're going to see less apprehensions, just as you know, historically, mm-hmm. and say, oh, you know, we've solved the problem. Right. So going off of that safe third country agreement, I mean, you have critics, especially that are open borders candidates or advocates. um, They say, hey, you know what? Mexico shouldn't be a third safe country because it's still dangerous. Now, for our listeners out there, I actually did an issue brief on this topic uh, in August of 2018. So I had the report here. But basically, I compared five measures of quality of life, which include the HDI index, life expectancy, GDP per capita, and I compared it, uh, Mexico, to Panama, Costa Rica, and the Northern Triangle countries. So in comparison to the Northern Triangle countries, I mean, Mexico, I'm seeing here, at least what I found, uh, is remarkably better. It's not the best country. It's not the most perfect country by any means, 
But if people are truly seeking asylum and they're trying to flee uh, these northern triangle countries, Mexico is a major upgrade. Uh, Preston, I don't know if you see this chart here, but I mean, it, it seems it's clear that it, it is definitely an upgrade from what they're allegedly fleeing from in their northern triangle countries. Uh, it's, it's absolutely an upgrade. And, and people forget that Mexico is a member of the G20. You know, we're, we're not talking about some, you know, backwards lawless society. I mean, Mexico is by far and away a much more advanced economy, a much more advanced democracy than the Northern Triangle countries. And, you know, really under asylum law, you're supposed to apply for asylum in the first safe country that you find yourself in. Right. And what what we're seeing now is, you know, a lot of these asylum seekers, mainly from Central America, they're essentially picking and choosing where they want to seek asylum right now. And that's why they're, a lot of them are ending up in the U.S. And that's just, you know, if you're truly fleeing persecution from your government, you shouldn't travel 2,000 miles and skip over a country that is going to give them uh, improved conditions. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. If they're, you know, bona fide refugees, exactly. people actually fleeing persecution. So do you think that the Mexican government will officially sign on to a third safe country agreement? Because, you know, right now there's not going to be any tariff placed on the country. But I feel like for them, in order to actually sign on, Trump is going to have to threaten, you know, the 5% tariff again yeah, um, it's it's interesting, and we we won't really know, of course, until we see how the situation at the border continues to to unravel. But I have hope that they will. Uh, the fact that they're open to it at all is a positive development, and uh, I also think it's something that could potentially be wrapped up into the U.S. Mexico Canada uh, trade agreement that's going to replace NAFTA. Uh, that is something that would be huge, and I think a lot. You know, we would have to kind of understand that the U.S. might be expected to provide some monetary assistance to Mexico to beef up their asylum procedures and some of that infrastructure. Uh, I think it's a little bit silly to just demand this of them and then not not help them put that in place. Uh, and I think that that's kind of what they're counting on as well. Generally speaking, how much faith should the American people have in Mexico's government? Because, I mean, even in, in the past, you know, t- 10 years or so, when the border has been spiraling out of control with uh, asylum requests and apprehension totals, you know, there's been instances and flashes where the Mexican government says, hey, we'll help you, the U.S., uh, curb these numbers, we'll have better interior enforcement. And, and you've seen even this year, Mexico, uh, between January and April, deported 37,000 people. They've begun to force caravans to apply for uh, transit passes to pass through the country. Uh this train in southern Mexico called the Beast, where a lot of migrants take the train up to the U.S. border. They're yanking people off of there now, preventing them from riding this train. So there's been flashes where they're actually trying to help with this crisis. But other times it's like, you know, you read every month or so, a, you know, a several thousand person caravan is coming up again. Mm-hmm. So do you think the American people should have faith that they'll help out more with this crisis? Or is it to be determined. It, it's really to be determined. And, and you're right. It, it comes in waves uh, when the Mexican government wants to cooperate with us on this front. But all it, all it can take is maybe, you know, one salty tweet or, you know, something like that, that, you know, they completely turn off their efforts. Um, I think the tariff threat is important to keep in consideration, though, because that, while it will, would hurt both the U.S. and Mexico, it would hurt Mexico quite a bit more, I think. So, uh, I, I I don't know. I think we need to wait and see. Uh, you know, up until this point, they've been pretty cooperative since the tariff threat. So until they 
give us a reason to suspect otherwise. I think we kind of just have to keep working with them and uh, you know, see where that relationship goes. So shifting gears a bit, um, the Associated Press reported uh, recently that there's been an unprecedented surge of African migrants arriving at our southern border. Um, so this has been something that's kind of unprecedented. I mean, the vast majority of asylum seekers and people apprehended at the border have been uh, Mexican nationals or uh, nationals from Central America. Uh, but they reported that a lot of people um, are coming from the Republic of Congo, Angola, Cameroon. And it was even mentioned that Cameroonians um, are flying to Ecuador because of loose visa requirements and then trekking up to Tijuana, Mexico through Central America. And it takes about three or four months. But it's just this crazy phenomenon where now are, you know, people recognize from all over the world that our border is so porous and our asylum laws are so exploitable that it's a global phenomenon. It's not just people from Central America coming um, to the border. So what, what are your, your thoughts on this? I mean, it, it, it's a crazy kind of yeah, phenomenon. My initial thoughts, um, it, it's kind of shocking because uh, generally that population, you know, people, people from Africa, from Northern Africa and the Middle East would traditionally try to go to Europe. Uh, and that's what we saw in 2014, 15, 16, uh, with the migrant crisis in Europe, where you know you saw uh, Germany took in a million asylum seekers, and, and you know Sweden took in proportionately, I think, the you know a, a huge amount of of asylum seekers. And so, for years, that was really kind of the the prime destination for uh, for Africans and and the Middle Easterners. But to, yeah, for them to to now hear that we're you know, kind of open for business in that regard. It's, uh, you know, you can't blame them. Nothing, nothing has changed in our asylum laws. Nothing is preventing them from, like you said, taking a plane to Ecuador and making the journey north. I mean, at, there's nothing in our law that can stop them from doing that. And um, I think that we're going to end up seeing a lot more of them unless something changes. Absolutely. In fact, I have a, a stat here. Um, according to the Border Patrol's Del Rio sector, um, they apprehended more than 500 African migrants in just one week recently. And to put this in perspective, the Border Patrol in that same sector only detained 211 African migrants in the entire fiscal year of 2018. So in one week, double than one year's total. So that's pretty significant. Um, the other issue that they're dealing with, um, the thing our, our listeners should know is, you know, a lot of these African migrants don't speak Spanish, which a lot of the, or English, which a lot of the Border Patrol officials have been trained to learn and to speak to the migrants. So now there's language barriers. Uh, a lot of these African migrants speak French or other dialects that, you know, the Border Patrol can't communicate back and forth with them. They show up with little to no documentation. So it's a very hard process to determine who these people are, where they're coming from, and kind of, you know, just their general background. And, and that can't be overstated enough. Um, I've toured a few ice shelters. And they actually say that's one of the biggest things. Um, not, I mean, I, they weren't really dealing with African migrants mm -hmm. at this point, but uh, their example were uh, kids from the jungles in Central America that don't speak Spanish. They speak, um, you know, yeah, like actually, Mayan, like, languages. Like Mayan languages. Yeah. And so they would arrive with no papers, no, you know, absolutely nothing. And they were having to contact, you know, college professors to say, Hey, we we need your help just to even understand what what this person is asking us right. to do. So that's that's a huge thing. It's a, it's just an additional strain on on border patrol and on ICE. In addition to all this, um, you know, some of these countries have shown, at least historically, that they've been you know kind of a hotbed 
region for terror groups. And I know this is probably a small amount of these people, but terror groups like Boko Haram, um, you know, they are popular in some of these regions in, in Central Africa. And so, you know, you have a lot of people on the left who dismiss anything, you know, when candidates or when officials say, hey, there's, there's a real terror threat potentially at our southern border. They laugh it off, but this is not a joke. I mean, they're, they're, this is a serious concern. And, you know, it only takes a few people to make a, a catastrophic event that the whole country will, you know, fear for, for decades. Well, and, you know, that's just generally an, a great argument for, you know, why we we want to know who's coming over our borders, whether it's whether they're coming through the southern border or whether com- they're coming in airplanes. I mean, t- just to have the fact that we don't have that knowledge is, is an enormous national security concern. Um, and all, you know. All we have to do is look back to the events of 9-11. I mean, most of those... Yeah, it was 19 uh, hijackers. Yeah, most That's of it. those people were visa overstayers. If we had had strict immigration enforcement and had a system to remove them when they were no longer, you know, legally able to stay in the country, you know, I'm not saying it could have prevented it, but it would have, you know, been, been helpful. A, lot, a lot more helpful than yeah. what ended up happening. So seeing this global phenomenon now, people from outside uh, the Western Hemisphere are, you know, arriving at our borders. Why don't you think Congress is reacting to this. I mean, it's like every month we ask the same question. Why aren't they reacting? Why aren't they reacting? But now it's a global phenomenon. It, it has been, but now in, in recent weeks, it's turned to a, a mass, a bigger phenomenon. Congress doesn't do a great job of reacting to a lot of things. and But this is just a, a you know, unconscionable decision to not, to not address this. And I think the issue comes down to you have the Republicans who are kind of looking at the root cause of it and saying, you know, a lot of people are coming here because they, they understand our asylum laws. You know, they're not stupid. They know that if they come in and claim asylum, they're largely going to be able to kind of roam around the country for at least a year and a half while their claim is going through. Um, and then on the other side, you have the Democratic Party who for months denied there was even a problem. And then finally, when, you know, the dominoes started falling, they said, well, you know, all we really have to do is just, you know, make sure that we can accommodate those who get here without really changing anything in statute. Um, and, you know, another big thing they've been harping on now is to, you know, give money to the Central American governments to to fix conditions there, kind of like a Marshall Plan idea. But that's, you know... I mean, yeah, you see how corrupt these Central American countries are, the, the governments. I mean, it's... We've been giving them hundreds of millions of dollars in, in aid annually. Uh, and it looked... What has that done? Yeah, I mean, you can't, you these can't, countries are still, a lot of them are impoverished. Uh, a lot of them are fleeing their countries. I mean, they don't like what's going on. Well, and you, can't, you can't buy strong institutions. You no. know, there, there, are, there are systemic reasons why you know, some of those governments don't function very well, and you can't fix that by throwing money at it. Right. And here's the other thing is when these people you know, from the Northern Triangle countries are fleeing their countries, that doesn't allow them to participate and their political processes, voting, uh, maybe right. even, uh, you know, protesting if they have to about the regime, the, the government that's in their country. And if these people are, are fleeing, there's no way that the government is ever going to be, you know, uh, replaced or voted out. I mean, it's the more you flee away, the more it, it's going to be harder to overturn. Kind no, of, it really is a brain drain in, yeah. that, in, in that sense. Um, and, you know, you have to remember, too, you know, we, we often think of the people who arrive at the southern border as, you know, very impoverished, very, you know, that, that kind of thing. But uh, you have to remember, these are the people who were able 
to make it out. You know, there there are mm-hmm. you know hundreds of thousands who didn't have the seven thousand dollars to pay the coyote to come up to the to the yeah. United States. So speaking of of Congress, still uh, one of our favorite congressional members, AOC, uh, recently had some just you know interesting tweets about uh, the detention facilities at our southern border. She basically compared them to concentration camps, and then you have uh, you know CNN contributors implying that we're headed to death camps now. I mean, this is uh, this was a big media uproar this week, and. You know, where do I even begin, Preston? I mean, there's just so many issues going on here. I uh, well, first of all, I can guarantee you that AOC's never actually been to an ICE facility or in or a uh, UAC shelter. Uh, I can tell you from firsthand experience, they are not concentration camps, um, and it's frankly very insulting to the pe- you know to the people who you know the people that work for ICE and work for CBP who most of their days now are spent caring for mm-hmm. unaccompanied children you know, trying to, to, you know, make sure that people aren't dying in, you know, in their care and that kind of thing. I mean, it's, it's insulting and it's, you know, just frankly disgusting that she even, even broached that, that topic. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just kind of fear mongering, you know, it's, it's not giving an accurate representation of what's actually going on and the sacrifice that the men and women of the border patrol are doing daily. The other thing is, you know, for people that cross illegally, I mean, you're breaking, federal law you're you need to be detained if you if you break those laws i mean why would you not be detained right right i mean (laughs) if you're a u.s citizen you're going to be detained if you break the laws you know for certain certain crimes but and the other thing too is um according to the illegal immigration reform and immigrant responsibility act of 1996 uh even if you are requesting asylum at the border you can still be detained for various re- reasons. I mean, it's up to DHS to determine what those reasons are, but it, it's, this is all not, um, you know, done in a malicious way. You know, it, it's, it's very standard. It's, it's, it's law. It's written in law. Right. I mean, well, I mean I, and, and again, though, AOC has made a brand off of hysterics. So right. I mean, this is nothing, nothing that I guess we should be surprised to hear. Yeah. And again, these facilities are not what, even comparable to any internment camps or concentration camps uh, during the Holocaust. I mean, migrants are not uh, working and being coerced to do labor. They're not being also, abused. Also, most of them are only there for a few days. I mean, given yeah, hours, maybe. Yeah, given given not only physical constraints of the fact that we only have a certain number of beds, but also right. most of them, when they've claimed uh, once they claim asylum and they have their papers in order and they have their court date, they leave. I mean, there's yeah. very you know. It, it's not concentration camps indicate that you're detaining people for years on end. If yeah. Not long. I mean, and I mean, think about it. Six million people died in concentration camps during the Holocaust. OK, that number is not even comparable right. to what we're seeing at the southern border today. I mean, it's when it, also I, we're not we're not detaining people because of an immutable character. No, not we're at detaining all. Them because they broke immigration law and we're trying to, you know, process them and then Again, in most cases, they end up walking out of them and they go to wherever they were hitting. Yeah. And the, and the odd part about this whole thing is she has not backed down. She's actually doubled and even tripled down on her statement. I mean, it's, it goes to show you how far, how far left the party has shifted for the Democrats, at least on the immigration issue in, in, in recent years. Uh, Preston, it's always great to have you on this show. Um, just plenty of more to talk about. Uh, but unfortunately, that's all the time we have. 
Uh, thanks, guys, for tuning in for Mornings with Matthew. Uh, please check us out on SoundCloud at fair.federation. Uh, and for more immigration news, check us out on our website at fairus.org. Tune in next week for another edition of Mornings with Matthew. <laughs> <laughs>